Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, thank you for being with us. If you will be open your Bibles, in just a few moments, we'll get into Hebrews, the 13th chapter, a little bit out of the 12th and into the 13th, which is our, our main text for today. But now before we even get there, we will probably spend some time in Psalm, the 73rd chapter, if you want to turn there. I'm excited about us studying Psalm 73 together for a few minutes at the first half of our lesson tonight. We're thinking about this wonderful topic of contentment, and I really mean that. And I think you know from, from just a study of God's Word over the last couple of weeks, it really is a wonderful topic. If we miss out on contentment, we're the ones that miss out. There is so much offered to us in contentment, and sometimes we waste it. We waste it with covetousness as the text tonight is going to teach and we can waste it with greed. We can waste it with the idea of, of, of looking over and looking at the world and being jealous and envious of the world. And so as we think about that question, envy of the world or content with God. And, and I really would like for you to think about which, which is it for you? Are you really content with God or do you spend time looking over and saying, ah, I just wish, I just wish I could do the things that the world does. There is such a greater life that the Lord offers us of delight and rejoicing and contentment with him that's so far superior for us. It's a blessing. I want to encourage you to remember just the brief reminder Begin your list, either today or tomorrow, please, of 10 things. And add to that list 10 things every day. And then however many you have, whether it's 60 or 70 by next Sunday, be sure and bring that. If you want to bring your list of 30 by Wednesday night, we'll probably have some double-sided tape ready even by Wednesday night. But let it be a great exercise for you, but allow us as a church family for it to be a great exercise for all of us. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to participate in this. I want to encourage you to share in what you participate so that our life as a church family will be richer and being able to share in each other's gratitude. You know, earlier this month, <clears throat> Ricky Schmidt's family had quite a discovery you see, they hunt for treasures and Rick is about 65 years old and he's gone on hundreds of excursions, but they knew of an area in Florida where back in July 31st of 1755, a hurricane slammed 11 Spanish ships to the bottom of the ocean. Treasure was scattered all over the ocean. They went out 150 yards and they struck gold, literally only 15 yards under the water. They pulled out over 64 feet of thin gold chain. They pulled out several coins and even a ring or two. The gold was valued at $300,000. There might be those that would look at their findings and say, wow, I wish I could find something worth 300,000. I wish I could go out and spend a little bit of time and bring back something worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Do you realize that what the Lord offers us is worth so much more than hundreds of thousands of dollars? Everybody here that is a child of God has something worth more than millions or billions of dollars. And I don't say that lightly. I'm saying that on the day of judgment, 
billionaires, and if there was such a thing as trillionaires, they would exchange it all to have the reward and the destination of one child of God. As I was writing this lesson, I took a pause in writing it, and I thought about various passages, and then I did some research to find exactly those passages. I shared several of those with you this morning. You remember many of the verses that we began the lesson with this morning were only two verses long. 1 John 2, 15, 16, 17, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those things are temporary, but those that stay with God, they'll abide forever. Remember Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, we're not supposed to be envious of sinners. And it is all because there is a hereafter. You remember we looked at also Psalm, the 37th chapter, in very similar language. But I got to tell you, I felt like I struck gold when I started reading Psalm 73. Because in Psalm 73, what I found out was it wasn't just one or two verses. It's literally where a beginning of, of, of Psalms here are given to us that literally the entire chapter is about the very topic of us being content with God and not being jealous or envious of the world around. And yet all of us probably at times, and perhaps every child of God that has ever lived has spent at least a few days of their life wondering, why is it that the most wicked and vile people seem to do well? Why is it that I have cancer and they don't? Why is it that I'm struggling to pay my mortgage and they aren't? Where is God in all of this? If God really is going to bless, why is it that some of the most wicked people I know seem to be the most blessed people? You know, I've appreciated so much to hear your hearts through this study the last couple of weeks. Two of you this morning on your own, individually, not together. Two of you shared your battle with cancer and talked about how good that that experience has been for you to learn contentment. Another of you has shared a huge decision you had to make very recent in your life. And you sought to not do what would be the secular decision, but the spiritual. And how this study in contentment has reinforced your spiritual yearning. Listen, we're never going to get away as long as we're on this earth from the challenges and the pulls to pull us away from this contented life. And so I hope that this evening you're ready to open your eyes and open your hearts. And maybe there's someone here that Psalm 73 speaks exactly where you live right now when you're trying to figure out why the wicked seem to do well. But notice how he wrestles with this for many verses. You'll notice that this chapter has 28 verses in it. And that's the entire chapter. We're not going to read all the chapter, but I'd like to read probably about a third of it, skipping just to see, for you to see the main parts. Look at the 73rd chapter in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel. 
to such as are pure in heart. Now here's our temptation. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Why? Why did his feet almost stumble? My steps had nearly slipped. Why did he almost fall spiritually? Here's the reason why. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How many times do we look around and we see that it seems like some of the most boastful people just continue to do well. They continue to win. They continue to, to achieve. And they brag and they brag and they just continue to have more to brag about. And here we are as children of God taught to never boast. And yet it seems like some that boast the most have the most to boast about and we shrug our shoulders and throw our hands up and say, how's that fair? Has there ever been a greater temptation to boast than today in social media? It is expected in social media that people will tweet and post everything that they have achieved good in their life. And God says, not a child of mine. It doesn't matter what the etiquette is in social media. God says, my children don't boast. You don't go around and post all the great things you've done in a day if you're a child of God. That's what the wicked do. Proverbs clearly teaches you let other boast of your goodness and you humbly serve God. But yet we can look around and we can see those that boast and they post and they tweet everything about themselves that's good. And how is it they just continue to have good and good and good? And so he says in verse four, for there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. See, this is the way it seemed. He's looking short-sighted here. This is the way it seemed. They are not in trouble as other men. So that's the way it seemed to him. Nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. See, they're violent people. They're boastful people and they seem to be doing well. Verse seven, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. Now let's skip several verses here and let's go down to 16. And I want you to notice by 16, he's starting to see a little more clearly where he thought that the wicked, only good things were happening for them. Look in verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, let that phrase sink in. You remember he had to learn contentment. Paul taught us that last week. So he decided to try to understand this. He studied this. And this is what he learned. He says, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. See, that's what we've been studying throughout most of today. That is the one huge takeaway of today's study. Why is it that I will not be envious of those who are wicked? Because we can study and find out their end. It's not because we are glad that that is their end. It's not that if we could change it, we would change their end for them. It's just the reality. That is their end. How could we boast if that was the end? Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Let's skip down to 23 and notice how now he's changed his commitment. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. See, at the beginning of this, he almost slipped away from God. And now he says, no, I understand now. I see it now. I'm with you, Lord. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to your glory. There he is again. 
while ago he talked about the end of the wicked. Now he's talking about the end of the righteous. He says, I'm going to be in glory with God. That's my end. That's why I'm staying. That's why I'm holding on with my right hand to God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. We don't have on the screen 26, 27, 28, but I'd like for us to read the last three verses together. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Think about that phrase right there. God is my portion forever. How much do you need? I only need this portion right here. What is that portion? God. I only need God forever. Well, hey, aren't you a little bit envious of the people out here in the world? No. My portion is God. Why would I be envious? Do you know what their end is? Do you know what the end is of those that are with the Lord? My portion is with the Lord. Could I share with you another illustration? And I know this is elementary, brethren, but I just want to remind us there is not a person here. There is not a person on this earth. If they saw a train go by that was loaded with laughing people, they looked like the happiest people on earth, but just one mile down the tracks, that train was going to wreck. It was going to crash and burn. You say, you, you want to trade places with them? Look how happy they are. Are you envious of them? And if everyone knew their end, no one would trade places. No one. Well, why? You don't want to laugh? You don't want to cut up? They had fun on that train, you know? And everyone would say, don't you see their end? We're trying to stop the train. We're trying to get this to stop. Oh, no. No, that end is there. No one trade places. Brethren, that's what God is trying to tell us over and over and over. And that's a huge part of Psalm 73. He begins by saying, I almost lost my faith. I almost stumbled and fell away from God because I thought the wicked were doing so good. And my problem is I didn't look long enough. If I would have looked long term, I would have saw their destruction. And then I look with the Lord and I see the end of living with the Lord. And the decision's made. God is my portion forever. We don't need a second portion. We don't need another portion. God is my portion forever. The last two verses, 27, but you got it there in 26. Well, let's go ahead and read it. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. Look, God's not boasting in that. The psalmist isn't boasting in that. We're not happy about that. He's just giving the reality. He's trying to get us to open our eyes and say, oh, you want to be jealous of these people? You want to talk about how great their life is? You're not looking long term. If they're not with God, they're perishing forever. The rest of verse 27, you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's good for us to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God. That's when we are content. When God is enough, we put our trust in him that I may declare all your works. And so we go back to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We mentioned it this morning. I want to read it together. I want you to notice that Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 25, is going to lead us right in. Ignore the chapter break. 
when we're reading along, just ignore the chapter break in 13. It's going to lead us right into verse 5 of the 13th chapter that we studied this morning. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things you have. And what is the things that we have? The reason we can be content is because we have God. Look at the rest of verse 5. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And so we are going to work down to the point where the Hebrew writer says, oh, don't be covetous. Don't long for, for other people's things. Just be content with such that you are. Well, what am I? God's with you. He'll never leave you. He won't forsake you. He'll be your helper. What can man do? How do we get there? We get there by understanding the end. So let's back up and read the end together. The 12th chapter, verse 25. 12th chapter, 25. So that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Pause here. On Sunday mornings, we've been looking at an emphasis in Bible class of the authority and the power of God's word, the inspiration of scripture. And what he's doing here, the Hebrew writer has already laid out groundwork for this type of language. If you flip your page back in your Bible to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, in the 10th chapter, verse 26, 27, and 28, 29 is the very same kind of language and definitely the same topic that he's talking about. And what he's doing is he's saying, do you remember when God literally spoke to Moses and through Moses on Mount Sinai to give the old law. Do you remember in Exodus, the 19th chapter and verse 18, what happened? The mountain quaked greatly. In other words, God spoke and the earth shook as the 10 commandments were being given. And so what he teaches here in, in Hebrews 10, and also he's referring to it in Hebrews 12, is he's saying, if there was that much power in God speaking through Moses' covenant, how much greater is Christ's covenant? And if he held, back to Hebrews 10, those accountable that violated Moses' covenant, all they had to do was have two or more witnesses and they were held accountable. How much greater is it going to be when Christ has spoken and brought a covenant and we shrug our shoulders at it? And we pass it off. And he's saying, don't you realize that God is the God who can shake the earth with his words? You can't just shrug your shoulders at God and it not have an effect in your life. And so with that being the topic thus far, now look at 27. Well, at the end of 26, when he says, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, there were four miracles while he was hanging on the cross. Remember it was dark from midday and the veil in the temple rent from top to bottom. There were those that were resurrected and stayed in the graves, but yet resurrected for a few days. And then... You remember, there was also 
a quake that was so violent that rocks broke in two. And then there's going to be one more time that God is going to shake the earth. And it's when Christ comes again. And there's going to be a shaking down of every kingdom and every power that's ever been. And there's going to be one kingdom that is unshakable. And it's going to be those who stand with God. We've been talking a lot of today about destination. If you're on this path, what's your destination? You'll be found in the kingdom that is broken down when all is shaken. What if you're on this path with the Lord? You will stand with the kingdom that is unshakable. Let's read about this in 27 and 28. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Notice this line. For our God is a consuming fire. I want you to imagine like sifting flour. But imagine there's still kernels of, of wheat in the flour and, and you sift it through and all the flour falls through and then you have separated maybe the kernels of the grains that were thicker of wheat from the actual flour itself. There was a shaking down. He paints a picture here of the end time. And when the Lord comes again, there's going to be a shaking down where everything that is eternal will stand firm. And everything that is temporal or earthly will be done away with. It'll be burned. You remember the last enemy that's going to be destroyed? Death itself will die. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us in verse 26. Listen. When everything is shaken down, is your soul going to be in good standing with God? He is a consuming fire. Are you going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Someone says, I'm a sinner. How could that ever happen? Notice the last verse we read. He says it's by grace. It is a gift that God gives us the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven. We can serve God, but notice we have to serve God acceptably. And we have to serve God with reverence and fear. Reverence has to do with a type of bashfulness. It has to do with a shamefacedness. Shamefacedness is the, the recalling away from that which is evil. If we are going to go and we are going to stand in the presence of the Lord and give our life to him and serve him, we cannot bring multitudes of evil and say, God, here I am, serve you. Evil can't come into his presence. That's why we can only come into his presence first by grace. Our sins have to be forgiven. We have to be people that are cleansed. And then we can come with reverence and fear. We can come with a caution. I don't deserve this. But by the grace of God and by the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is bestowed upon me, we then can come with boldness. But notice, this passage that we've been getting to all day, and we studied it more in depth this morning, the idea of being content, not covetous, but content, 
is prefaced four verses earlier by saying, look toward eternity. We'll never find a life where we find deep joy, where we find genuine delight, where we find a peace that passes understanding, where we can say with our whole being, I love being God's child. Are you envious of the world? I'm tempted sometimes, but no. When I think clearly, I'm not envious of the world. I know their end. Why would I be envious of that? You're telling me you are 100% content with God. Yes. God is my portion. Brethren, when we can know God as our God and not allow that place of Godhood to compete with anything else, the blessing is ours. I'd like to close with reading a passage out of 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. If you be turning there, and, and this is going to tie into the passage we studied of of uh, covetousness and contentment there in verse five. Look, if you will, first Timothy, the sixth chapter. Let's read verse nine and 10 together. By the way, we could read this whole chapter. It's kind of like reading Psalm 73. This passage teaches us a lot about one topic all the way through. And this particular chapter teaches us a lot about making sure that we don't allow the possessions or money to become our God. And look what he says in verse nine. But those who desire, think about lust we studied this morning. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, it's a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts. We're back to that word lust again. What's it going to do? Which drown men in destruction and perdition. He's saying, look, we can live this life over here where we say, oh, I want money. I wish I could find $300,000 worth of treasure. My life would be great. Everything would be perfect. No, everything's not gonna be perfect. Money is not a God that can make things perfect. The almighty God can make things perfect. Money can't make things perfect. Notice the destruction and the perdition that he's referring to is ultimately spiritual perdition and destruction. Isn't it interesting? He's talking again about what happens eternally. And so then we have the verse that's many times misquoted, but oftentimes quoted, verse 10. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. Brethren, that's not a light thing. That's serious. That's horrible. They've strayed from the faith in their what? Greediness. The greediness took them away from faithfulness. Now, did it leave them feeling good? No. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We could read many verses here, but let's skip down and let's close with verse 17. Verse 17 Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. So here I am a preacher and God's given me a command right now. He's writing to a young preacher here and he says, I know you're thinking you're not a young preacher, but I'm a preacher. And he's saying, command those that are rich not to be haughty. This room is full of wealthy people. We cannot be what God wants us to be with taking because of any financial status that we have 
and look down upon anyone else that has less. Our financial blessings gives us no right of arrogance. And when we think it does, we've started making money our God. We've started trusting it and finding our identity in it. Our identity is not in our money. Our identity is not in what neighborhood or side of the tracks we live on. Our identity is not in what we wear. It is not in what we drive. Our identity is that we are sons and daughters of the Almighty King. That is our identity. And whenever we miss that, we really start thinking that money defines us and we become haughty. And it, well, notice the next phrase, it becomes our God. Nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Notice he says not only to not trust in riches, but he reminds us what riches were. I mentioned to you this morning, 2009. We were reminded in 2009 that riches are uncertain riches. But as children of God, we don't have to have a crash in the market for us to be reminded of that. We know that from reading God's holy word. Are we going to trust in those? No. Can they, the riches be used as a blessed tool in God's service? Absolutely. Listen, God has given to every one of us what he's given to us so that we can do good with it. And so it's not that whatever amount of, of money and blessings and talent and energy that God gives us is a curse. It shouldn't be a curse. But we should look at it for what it is. It's not our God. It is a tool that's given for us to serve our God. Trust in uncertain riches or trust in the living God. That's what Paul said to preach to those who are wealthy. What I learned today. Number one, I learned if I'm constantly convinced of how good worldly living is, I have completely missed contentment with God. And that's sad. If we're not content with God, we've missed out on one of the greatest blessings that we could have on this earth. Number two, a huge mistake is making decisions based on short term. Every decision you and I make, we ought to be staring eternity in the eyes. Number three, God wants to be your helper. That's what he said in, in Hebrews 13, five and six. He wants to be our helper. And with him as our helper, what do we have to fear? He can take care of eternity. And that's really, that's really all that matters. Tonight, let's not be distracted. Instead, let's take the things that God gives them and use them in his service to focus upon him. Let's approach him with reverence. Let's approach him with fear. Individually, let's give our all to the Lord. Collectively, as a congregation, let's join together and let's faithfully serve. We just come out of an elders and ministers meeting a few minutes ago, and I am constantly reminded of how awesome our elders are. They love God. They love you. They want to lead us toward heaven. But you and I have to make a choice. 
Are we going to join in this fellowship? Are we going to unite? Are we going to stand strong? Are we going to lock arms? And are we going to follow that leadership? Each has to make that decision. We can go tomorrow to work and deep inside we can complain about how great the world has it. Or we can look long term and we can see how desperately the world needs to learn about contentment with God. If we can help you tonight in any way,